passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and joining me tonight for Rewind a Raw, John Cena, stepping up for the heavy lifting that is the Raw Review. John, there is no show that when Way is off that I feel more guilty about than this one, where I have to convince somebody to join me to watch this three-hour program and then chat about it afterwards. Uh, you are a trooper uh, following in uh, Nate Milton's footsteps from last week. You know, when I was a young boy and I took a picture with a one John Pollock, I dreamed of one day hosting Rewind the Raw, and the cherry on top is we're getting not one wedding, but two weddings. Uh, no, a double commitment ceremony. Sorry, we- commitment. Wedding was never uttered on tonight's show. Tonight, it was a commitment ceremony um, for, for whatever reason. Yeah, we are going to get into this show. Um, I will say this, that... From from my home to this arena in Buffalo, I could probably be there in under two hours. We did have some snow tonight. I could not fathom the idea of going any kind of a distance, and this is the show that you would have gotten. Like, Raw is one thing. This this show is completely designed for the viewer at home and not the live-going experience. You got, I mean, the first two hours of this show... I like this crowd was restless and I have absolutely no blame on this audience that I mean, they their energy was down in certain segments. And then at the end of it all, you do get a lengthy wrestling match at the end with this count out finish at the end. And I just could not imagine like maybe you are going for different reasons than me. But if I was leaving this arena on Monday night, it would just be like I will go to house shows. Maybe I'll go to a pay-per-view. I'm not going to one of these television tapings if this was my experience tonight sitting in that arena for for this duration. Yeah, I mean, ever since they came back from from you know having these uh, empty arena shows, they've had Raws in my area, and I haven't gone to any. Um, I'll do a SmackDown, only because at least that's an hour shorter, and it's a reason to spend time with some of my friends. But I, I can't, I can't do that for three hours, especially for like overall like this one. Yeah, this was a tough slog tonight that we will get into. But um, first up, uh, for those that uh, want to go check out the site uh, on the schedule this week, on Tuesday night, we are going to be dropping a new edition of Rewind Away going through Elite XC Primetime from May of 2008. So it is an MMA review this week, and uh, Phil and Eric Marcotte will be joining me uh, for that one. So that will be out for Post Wrestling Cafe members on Tuesday as well, live Tuesday night at 10.15 Eastern. Braden and Davey are going to be reviewing NXT 2.0, which... uh, just added uh, Santos Escobar in action against Carmelo Hayes on Tuesday night. And uh, we're getting down to uh, Davies' return back to, to Canada in the, uh, in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, and maybe we'll see an appearance from um, Katana Chance or Alba Fire or any of these other name generators that we've gotten recently. It's always the fun of uh, NXT. You never know who you're going to see and and what they may be identified as. So that's coming up on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, it's the return of the Ting as he will be back here in Toronto. Uh, You will get to hear him on the Post Daily News Show Wednesday at 1 Eastern and then Wednesday night on Rewind a Dynamite. Uh, But the news show continues Tuesday. Karen Peterson will be on with me. So that's what's coming up the next couple of days. All of that up at postwrestling.com as well as a Q&A we just put up with Guy Evans, the author of the Nitro book on the history of WCW. So if you want to check out a Q&A on the site, you can go uh, grab that. Uh, But John, we have some news off the top and uh, this coming uh, down tonight, courtesy of Fightful Select uh, reporting that Kushida is done with WWE indicating that his contract was up, but not uh, specifying if a new deal was offered or not. Uh, This one to me, John, was one that was like this guy had this was not a great move for him career wise. He came at a time when NXT was much different, uh, had some injury setbacks. And once the 2.0 rebranding occurred, I mean, to me, the writing was on the wall. This guy had to get out of here, and uh, this this does not surprise me at all. I guess the question is uh, not just your reaction, but also what is going to be the next step for one Kushida. Yeah, so this is one of those situations where he can go anywhere, like as soon as possible. Is that the contract's up? Then there would be no no compete. So, so yeah, my- in, in in theory, unless there's something we're not aware of, he should be able to go wherever he wants immediately. So my first thought is best of Super Juniors, right? That's the next big mm. tournament for Japan. So I can see him going there. I can see him possibly doing some stuff with Strong, maybe as soon as the, the show in uh, in D.C. next month. Um, and then obviously AEW, if he just shows up as somebody in the Owen tournament. Um, but yeah, just like you said, the writing's on the wall. Like As soon as they went to 2.0 and the whole jacket time thing, I'm just like, yeah, he doesn't fit here. And I honestly, with this new, this new directive with NXT where you can't use your real name or your indie name, they probably gave him a, a, a different name, and he was like, you know what, guys? I'm sorry, but I, I'm out of here. I can't be whatever you want to call me. So, Yeah, I'm sure there will be a, a, a bit more on maybe the, like, the decision that went into this. But, you know, your contract was up. I mean, I would, I would speculate. Like, if he knew his contract was up and all of the changes, I mean, just look at all the names that have left there. And I'm sure he saw the writing on the wall, too. He's 38 years old. That's not a great age to be in, on this brand. He was obviously, like, the, the main roster, it, that did not seem to me as uh, a likely spot for him. And when you're in NXT, it's like you're looking at a role as kind of, you're either putting guys over or you start to move over to, like, a, a coaching kind of capacity. But, like, with Gargano, with Ciampa, even, like, Pete Dunne moving on, it's, like, all these names that have moved on, he's part of that cluster Unfortunately, I think I think he's leaving where some prime years were spent here in NXT and not exactly maximized. He took the risk, um, but, you know, uprooting his family to to move here. It's going to be very interesting because, you know, you have your family as well. Like, are you willing to move all the way back to Japan or have you set your roots in and are going to stay in the States? But, yeah, you do have that option, I guess, if if he can go back to New Japan, having the the U.S. arm as well. So uh, we'll chat a bit more about that on uh, Tuesday's uh, Daily News Show. But as we go into Raw from the Key Bank Center in Buffalo, New York. Have you ever been to uh, Buffalo, John? Have you ever driven through Buffalo? I haven't. I've been as far up as maybe Albany, but never to Buffalo. Um, maybe down the road. I might I might take a trip, but luckily I didn't go tonight. Well, uh, 
according to WrestleTix, over 7,300 did. Um, so that, that was, you know, for, for Raw, uh, a, a good number uh, these days. And Jimmy Smith was on commentary with the returning Jerry Lawler and Byron Saxon. So an extended honeymoon uh, that Corey Graves is on. And Seth Rollins starts the show. He comes out and he is quickly joined by Cody Rhodes, who comes out. And uh, we have Jimmy Smith note that uh, Cody left Raw for six years. And it doesn't appear that he's lost a step. So I love the idea that leaving this company to go to the independence and to Ring of Honor and to New Japan and AEW, it's it's similar to like a career threatening injury, you know, when you when you go off for that amount of time and then you come back to WWE that you have to get back into the rhythm of things. Yeah, like I don't like obviously they're not going to say AEW, but they have definitely alluded to like he's been somewhere. Like, why not just make mention of him like? No, he, he left or, for six years. He just was in the abyss, and now he is back. And he's, he was uh, hosting the uh, the Go Big Show for dust, six years, that, dusting off his wrestling boots, and, and, <laughs> and he's back. hasn't missed a beat in six years. So Cody says that this feels familiar being in this ring with Seth Rollins in this city, calling Buffalo Rhodes Country. And what he was alluding to that I think maybe could have spelled been spelled out a bit by Cody or the announcers was that this is where the battleground event was in October of 2013 uh, with a, a pretty well remembered match at that time. It was um, t- as my memory recalls, this was a god awful pay-per-view that was saved by this match with Cody and Dustin against Seth and Reigns, where they ended up winning to be reinstated and saving their father's job. And it was uh, the moment where like the Dusty gets involved in the match it was it was a terrific match and yeah happened to be in this building and um if only they had the rights to show like a highlighter a clip of this and you had a streaming service that people might want to go and watch this match afterwards but uh that that did not make its way in, into this yeah i was a little confused i'm like i had to do a little searching i'm like what happened between cody and seth and buffalo and the first thing that popped up was this battleground event but yeah they could have definitely like said a little bit more showed a little bit more because i'm sure i wasn't the only one confused well, yeah, it was uh, nonetheless, um, it, this was mentioned in, in passing. And then Cody stops Rollins constantly by gesturing to the crowd and getting them to react. And Rollins says, it doesn't matter what work you did outside of the company. I made you a star in one night at WrestleMania. That's bigger than anything you did. And I had the unfair advantage at WrestleMania. I could not prepare. And right as he's saying this, some dude facing the hard camera in the crowd just starts standing up and crotch chopping. Just, you know, perfect <laughs> perfect uh, timing on, on this guy's part as everyone's uh, sitting listening to this promo. And he calls Cody the flavor of the month, but you are not the future. Rollins talks the talk, walks the walk better, and it's an admirable goal to try and win the title. Your father never did, but I've already been to the top of the mountain. Cody corrects him, saying, you've been to the top of the mountain four times. And I did have a management position where I was, so I learned all about mediation. So how about we we have a neutral third party get involved here and he pulls the crowd asking who is better. This was like the just such a lame utilization of a I'm I'm I was a manager so I know all about mediation um this was the most like WWE segment that Cody has been involved in uh, since coming back just like your standard you talk I talk and this whole run around and then Rollins suggests that they turn the tables tonight where Cody will face a mystery opponent of Rollins choosing in the main event Cody agrees to this and that is what uh that would be our main event of the show. But uh, how did you think uh, this came off? Obviously, Cody is going to be the, the heavy focus of these Raw episodes. Uh, how did you like this segment? Yeah, it was very similar to last week's, right? I mean, they kind of did the same thing with the talking segment in the ring. Um, 
it was okay. I was a little distracted by uh by Seth's like suit. Kind of looked like a jumpsuit. I don't know what he was really wearing this week. That kind of distracted me. But the whole management thing was weird. Like imagine you don't watch AEW, you just watch WWE, and you're thinking like, was Seth like a manager somewhere for the last six years? Like you'd be so totally confused at what they were even like alluding to here. Um, but the segment was what it was. You know, just to set up the main event. But I didn't think anything special of it. It was kind of just like a, another talking segment with nothing really new or anything to really take out of it. Well, it was actually a funny point that Cody brought up about, can we just get to the point? Uh, because this was like your typical like 10, 12 minute opening segment to pretty much set up a match for uh, the, the end of the show. Sasha Banks and Naomi defended the women's tag titles against Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley. This was the match that was delayed by a week after Ripley was unavailable last Monday. And Banks and Naomi used a uh, double eat the feet and then are kicking away at Liv Morgan. Ripley then catches Sasha off of the apron and uses her as a weapon on Naomi and delivers a riptide to Banks onto the barricade, setting up the commercial. Uh, then we come back and Ripley and Liv are in control and Ripley lifts up Naomi on her shoulders and they put their back towards Liv, who is supposed to come off the turnbuckle. It looked like to deliver like a face buster or something. They totally mistimed this. So Ripley drops her and then Liv jumps. And even Jimmy Smith had to note that uh, the timing was not exactly a spot on with that one. There's a blind tag to Ripley. This leads to a powerbomb by Liv and then a riptide on Naomi. But Sasha is able to thwart Liv with a backstabber that was also badly timed here where it really did not connect and it was a key spot because that had to take Liv out of this and she makes the save uh, on her partner Naomi right at the last second after the riptide and so Liv just rolls to the floor and doesn't come back and we get the rolling codebreaker combo by Banks and Naomi followed by Naomi with uh, her version of uh, the Bubba Bomb and then a jackknife cover as Sasha pins Rhea Ripley um, I-, I thought there were some really like mistimed spots here mainly uh, from, from Liv um, so it-, it was hard to overlook that in this match the ending sequence was nice that the three of them had and i did i do like ripley kind of in this new role and much more aggressive but this match certainly had problems yeah the first thing i gotta say is i was a little distracted when sasha came out because she has these grills in her mouth now i'm like what's that shining out of her mouth and i went on her instagram page and she actually has grills that says like boss time on it so i was like okay that's an interesting look for sasha but i had the same note with you about the the sloppiness especially when they're on the outside it's a lot of like just badly timed moves but i did like the ending sequence as well that was really cool how they did that and uh you know i wasn't surprised when or anything like that but obviously what happened after the match was what we were here for but the match was okay for what it was how are you liking uh banks and naomi in this role as the champions i think i think it's the the ongoing issue of this division is just having challengers for them i i like the team but it's uh it's kind of just trying to flesh out this division with some teams and you have one less one after this one yeah, it's a little weird. I feel like like Sasha's just doing what Naomi does, if that makes any sense. Like she's kinda like like changing her gimmick a little bit to kind of fit with the whole Naomi glow thing. Um so she kind of feels like like the silent partner in this in this tag team. So um I don't know. I feel like they need a little bit more like evolution, like maybe like a some sort of like unified look or something between them two. Um, and they obviously need competitors because they just lost a, a tag team to, to fight against. So that's going to be an issue. We just lost half the division here because Ripley was so upset with Liv. And as she goes to walk away, she's admonishing her. Where were you? And she had a great point because Liv, I mean, just if you watch this replay, like she kind of just like rolls out of there. It was very clunky. And then she beats the hell out of Liv as Liv goes to leave and hits a big riptide. Jimmy Smith says that we did not see that one coming. Well, 
Maybe you didn't, Jimmy. But um, yeah, I think this overall a, a positive for Rhea Ripley to to get her into into a heel role. You've got a babyface champion, and can pr- I, I really don't see the Liv Morgan feud. Maybe that's a backlash match, but it's also one that probably will get like three times on television before they're ready to move on with Ripley to something bigger. Yeah, unfortunately, I just see Liv maybe being paired off with some other uh, woman, just form a different tag team. That's the only thing I can really see for her. I can't see her. Like, they tried with her with the whole, like, uh, solo push and go for the title, but I can't see them going back with, with Liv for that. Yes, yeah, so it turns out that uh, they lived for brutality for about a month. <laughs> Backstage, uh, Ripley is interviewed by Sarah Schreiber and is asked why she did what she did. And Ripley said, no one is entitled to an explanation. So that's it. I mean, it was pretty clear, wasn't it? Very yeah, clear, pretty, clear, pretty clear. Yeah. Sonia Deville comes out and she says that she was forced into this position as an authority figure and she had to find her way back to becoming a WWE superstar. And she saw her opportunity after Bianca Belair won the title at WrestleMania. States that Belair is, in fact, the best in WWE and that's who she wants to win the title from. Um, this was a certain... Uh, is it just me or have the what chance really escalated over? And maybe that's a byproduct of like Austin being so ingrained over the last uh, little bit, but it just seems they are amplified now with these crowds. And I, I did not even uh, fault this crowd. Usually I hate these what chance, but um, th- this was a crowd that they, not to say this segment deserved it, but there were others that did. Yeah, it's definitely happening a lot. And like you said, it's definitely because Austin came back, I would think. But um, they seem to be handling it well. Like you see who can handle it well and who doesn't. I think I think she was okay with it. She you, you have to be equipped for it, essentially, when you're you are out there because this is going to happen. Uh, Belair comes out to interrupt and DeVille notes that she's an official right now and Bianca is subject to any repercussions if she touches her and the crowd chants do it. And Belair wants the match tonight. DeVille says, not in this rusted out suburb of New York City. Instead, we are going to do the match next week in your hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. There, you'll have your family around you since you're you're used to losing the title so quickly. And lifted her up for uh, Bianca, lifts her up for the KOD, but she's threatened. So just tosses her down to the mat. And that's what we're getting uh, next week in Knoxville. I'm actually surprised by that. Like, why don't you think they were going to hold it for the backlash? Like, are they only going to try to do rematch for that show and this doesn't qualify? I I mean, we will see what they do next week. I, I don't hate the idea of doing something big in someone's hometown. Um, this being WWE, I that's always a 50-50 proposition. Um, but it'll be very interesting because AEW has a very similar situation this Wednesday where Baker is in uh, Pittsburgh and is going to get uh, a huge uh, reception. And we'll see if this is just an angle next week to get the backlash or they just give like a, you know, a, a spotlight and Bianca gets a big win in her hometown. That'll be always interesting when WWE puts someone in their hometown. Uh, Veer Mahan uh, destroyed this dude in his hometown, Jeff Brooks. Uh, he pounced this guy. The million-dollar arm and the cervical clutch in a minute 13 and then reapplies it to send him out on a stretcher. So pretty much uh, the Veer Mahan uh, presentation and no Mysterios on tonight's show. Yeah, I was surprised by that. No like, real follow-up on that. They did mention it, but there wasn't really anything from that. We didn't get an update on what happened with Ray, right? Like he just never showed up last week and we haven't seen him since. Well, we, we saw the – there was the report from Dave Meltzer that it was a medical issue. So I don't know if it's something continuing with Ray. Dominic, it made sense that if he was stretchered out last week, he shouldn't have been on the show tonight. And maybe Ray wasn't available again this week. So um, maybe just you know holding it off and Jeff Brooks gets the call tonight. But it was very short, very quick. 
um, are you, uh, where, where are you at on Veer Mahan so far after a couple weeks? Well, I was following his crazy run on main events for, the, for like two, three months. Everybody's like, you know, where, where's Veer? Where's Veer? And I'm like, I've been seeing Veer every week on main events. And, uh, you know, it was it was a weird experience, uh, experiment with him because like some weeks he was like playing a baby face and then some weeks he was playing a heel. So they were definitely like toying with Veer on like the, the main event show. Um, but he's been OK. He's just doing the same stuff he's always been doing. Um and, like, I think you guys mentioned it last week with Nate. Like, I, I don't understand why they just don't use this guy. Like, he could be a ultra baby face if they use his actual story that they made a movie out of. But they want to do this with Veer. So, who knows? They may get there at, at some point. We'll see. We'll see how the, how the Veer project works. They're doing the right thing with him, just, you know, mauling through guys at this point. So, the jury is out. It'll, you know, be once he has to have a, a significant match with someone. And and that may be Ray, where you have to do a bit of a longer match and 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 see how, how he fares. Sonya Deville complains to Adam Pierce about Belair putting her hands on her. And Pierce notes that there is an investigation by the higher-ups regarding her conduct and says that, Bianca Belair is being fined for her actions. So Bianca walks in and pays her fine of $1. And DeVille is outraged. And Pierce says he did it by the book. So very clever here. Yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> I didn't stand the point of this. Like uh, what's going on with Adam Pierce? Like you see, is he like trying to like baby face himself here with Bianca? Um, I guess so. That was where we, uh, we came off here. I'm sorry. I'm looking at this next segment that we have to get into. And this is where the, the show certainly, um, I would say it took a turn, but it's not like this was on some, like some upward momentum before it either. So it is time for the Kevin Owens show. We might've gone from the greatest Kevin Owens show, uh, to the worst one. He is out here and he has Chad Gable seated at this desk for the lie detector test. And Owens explains that he despises liars and introduces Gable, noting he has a 2.0 grade point average and is instantly corrected. It's a 4.0 GPA that the man has. Uh, Gable was, listen, Owens and Gable, like I, I thought they were clearly the life of this segment, but uh, not enough to, to overcome some of what, they pretty much had nothing to work with. That's the thing with this Ezekiel character. There was so little to work with. So out comes Ezekiel, and he says, instead of who wants to walk with Elias, it's who wants to hear Zeke speak. And he is hooked up to a lie detector, and Owens is explaining, this is state of the art. This is a computer explaining the 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 grand method that they have gone to, the, the lengths that they have gone to to procure this. And the t- they've got, like, the needle running on the screen, and he has asked questions such as, is the sky blue? Is it Monday? Gable then goes off asking if Gable Stevenson is a spoiled brat that messed with the wrong guy at WrestleMania. And Owens has to calm down Gable, noting you are being paid 150 Canadian dollars for this. And we just go through, is your real name Ezekiel? Yes. And it shows it's the truth. Then they ask, is Elias your older brother? Yes. That turns out to be true. Owens asks if Elias is his real name, and he says no, and Owens is so angry, he fires Chad Gable from his duties here, and Elias calls Owens the biggest liar in WWE, and he is here excited to have his first match in WWE, while Owens insults Buffalo, calling it Canada's landfill, and says that he, he'll tell Owens uh, or else. And it leads to Owens just walking out and backing down from a fight here. And Gable attacks Ezekiel from behind. I tried my best to recap this. This was like there was just 
nothing here for me. I'm sorry. This was this was a lot worse. And like when I saw Chad Gable, I was like, okay, maybe this can be okay, but it really wasn't. Um, what I got out of this, I like the 2.0 like shout out from Owens, a little way to kind of shout out Cool Ange and uh, Daddy Magic over there. I mean, oh, you know what? I I didn't even put that 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 together. That's that is very funny. When they showed the lie detector test, it looked like when you're recording on Audacity and like somebody was just like shouting into the microphone and it just like would spike up. That's what it looked like to me. It was like the worst lie detector test. Um, This was a very distorted segment um, that listen, when Kevin Owens is in a talking segment and it doesn't hit, I I think that tells you something. Uh, This was a far cry from Vince McMahon and Mr. America, which was a very entertaining segment um, many, many years ago. Um, They're just I'm sorry. This Ezekiel character, like I've said it, it was it was a 30 second bit that they are now extended. And it's just, he's not all that funny in the character. It's like the crowd doesn't care. And this segment, it just, it had no payoff to it either. It's like, okay, he, what he beat the lie detector test. It's he's, I don't care. I just, I do not care. And I didn't think that anyone in this key bank center cared either. That's what I'm saying. Like with Ezekiel, like what's the redeeming quality? Like they're like fans aren't behind them. Like you said, like there's no, there's nothing really to cheer about this guy. Like there's no like ending punchline. Like he's not going to show up next week with a beard. Like what's the, like, I don't, what's like the, I don't know what they're trying to do with him. I really don't. And it's, it's not working for me. And uh, I, I unfortunately don't see this lasting too much longer. Or and this really took us, the crowd out of things. Um, oh, this yeah. ne- and this next match, I mean, we got Ezekiel and Chad Gable. Dude, this crowd was dead for this. It only went three and a half minutes, but this was just so dull. And I mean, the downside of like this Ezekiel character is like the actual in-ring stuff. Like the Elias character was what people got into and it was not the wrestling. And that's what we got here. Gable worked on the knee for quite some time skins the cat and then Ezekiel with strikes, but no one's into the comeback exploder by Gable. And then he goes for the moonsault off the top landing on the foot of Ezekiel and is hit with a spine buster. And he yells speak with Zeke as he goes to apply his submission onto Gable's leg. When Otis runs in for the DQ at three thirty-three. 33, uh, this, uh, this sucked. Yeah, I, I feel like it's only going to get worse. I can see like some some hokey backstage segment where like Ezekiel leaves and he comes back in with a fake beard saying, oh, it's I'm Elias. Like I can see it just getting a lot worse than this, honestly. Man, this this character, it's just, I mean, it was like, it just greatly needs some creativity attached to it because I, I don't see this thing lasting many more weeks. RK Bro and the Street Profits, uh, we had... Lawler noting that that Byron was hanging out with the Street Profits on Easter because they both are into the same kind of music, hip hop. Wow, that's I haven't. I'm pretty sure he said the same joke when Men on a Mission was wrestling in 1993. Well, Lawler had a very busy week because after using all those uh, wedding jokes for Carmella and Corey Graves last week, he had to he had to restock over the week. So we'll we'll get to those during the commitment ceremony. Um, the Prophets worked as subtle heels dur- during the match. Uh, Ford got to the top and was caught with like a one man Spanish fly by Riddle, and they go to the break. Hot tag to Orton, and they both hit RK Bros onto Ford and Dawkins. And Riddle gets the tag, is setting up for the RKO when Ford is on the apron and he starts waving with his arm. And the Usos music plays, but no one comes out. And the Prophets jump RK Bro and hit Riddle with a blockbuster off of Dawkins' shoulders as Ford pins him. And then we get a promo from the Prophets asking who could have cued their music at that inopportune time. And RK Bro needs to worry about the Street Prophets and not have their mind on the Usos. And we cut back and Riddle just yells out, bullshit! 
And I like this direction with the Street Profits. It's, I, I think, a welcome change for them. And it's it's a new role to play. It's heels for RK-Bro. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, this will we will see what they do with, with the tag titles at Backlash. But at least getting the Street Profits into uh, different roles. Yeah, I mean, it was a good match. But how many times can these two teams have a good match? But, like, this, this kind of throws a wrench in it where you get a little bit of a heel turn. And I don't know if it's, like, just recently, but, like, Montez is really, like, putting on some size like in a good way i was like i, I saw him when he's cutting the promo i'm like he's getting really big so i could definitely see him like you know breaking out to be like a, a solo heel down the road um but i was really impressed with with um with this, the whole direction of, of them and turning heels i, I think they, they definitely need it they've been doing the same shtick for so long now then we went into um Edge and Damian Priest have remodeled Aleister Black's uh, vacant room uh, in the WWE backstage area. They've added a throne and the scales of justice and uh, cut the lights. And Edge explains that last week with Damian Priest and AJ Styles, those were mind games when the lights went out and we got no finish. And this part of Edge was always there. It started inside of him back over 20 years ago when he was in the brood and says that they haven't lived up to their true capabilities and mentions that last year, Damian priest played second fiddle to bad bunny at WrestleMania yet. Bad bunny got all the credit. And this year, Damian priest didn't get a match at WrestleMania edge then explains. And as for me, what do I have to complain about? A great question. He said he had to beg for someone to face him at WrestleMania. And unlike the bills and sabers, I actually win championships. So this this did get, I mean, it was cheap, but at least it showed that this audience was listening. So he fought and fought to come back after nine years away. And it took two years for the fans to start complaining about whether I'm here too much, whether I'm here too little. They called me a part-timer. These jaded lemmings with an attention span of a TikTok video. And I don't care what you think anymore. And he needs to take back what he never lost, referring to the title, I guess. And AJ is the only one with the guts to stand across from them. And he is challenging AJ to a rematch at WrestleMania Backlash. So uh, this was one of my complaints when they kind of launched this Edge character. And Priest, to an extent as well, is kind of giving some kind of justification for such a radical turn. So um, they did try to do this. I still can't say I'm, I'm really sold on Edge in this role. I think for Damian Priest, um, anything is an improvement from where he was kind of just just flailing away. So I think that this association helps. Um, but where are you at on the Edge character now that we've had about a month uh, since this change? I did like how he had to kind of throw in there that he's been doing this ever since the Brood and Ministry of Darkness days. So in case anybody thinks they're ripping off another stable somewhere, he wanted to clarify <laughs> that. And then he kept mentioning things like like the verdict, uh, Judgment Day, Scales of Justice. And I, I thought back, there was a trademark a couple weeks ago for Grand Jury, and nobody really knew what that was. Maybe this could be the name of their stable, the Grand yeah, Jury. They, they were really hitting it over with, yeah. I mean, not just the visual of the Scales of Justice, but constant with Judgment Day. That that, that would make sense, that um, that, that would be the name you, you attach to this, because they were really hitting that heavy. And Sarah Schreiber then interviews AJ Styles, who was wearing a Brian Danielson shirt, and he accepts Edge's challenge, and then the lights start to flicker, and he sends Sarah to safety as Edge and Priest appear. 
you know, I thought the lights going out and Sutton Singh appearing last Wednesday was like going to be the, the, the flat line, but the flickering lights and then Edge and Damian Priest are in the locker room here. And then they, they beat the hell out of AJ and rammed his shoulder, um, in, in the, in the locker area. And so he's, he's left holding his shoulder, which they speculated maybe separated, uh, after the, the attack. So that yeah, was our involvement tonight. I hope that this is not like a continuing thing where like the lights just go off and on because it's, oh, that was really hokey. Um, they're definitely missing something with this group, and I'm going to assume Rhea is going to join them based on like what she did earlier in the night. Um, they're definitely missing like something else. Like Just these two alone doesn't really click for me, but if they grow to be like a three- or four-person stable and do like multiple things at the same time, it could work. Finn Balor versus Theory. Just theory for the United States Championship, and Jimmy Smith had to bite his tongue because when he walked out, he said Austin, and then he just <laughs> cut himself off. He caught himself, so he comes out. It's just theory now, and uh, the match begins. And theory hits a neck breaker off the apron, and this would set up um, Balor and selling his neck. And he did a very good job, I thought, uh, selling throughout this match. Balor was very good in this. And Theory's in control. Crowd was not into this that much, but then Balor made his comeback and somewhat awakened them. Uh, we saw a DDT from Balor, and then Theory goes back to the neck, snapping it on the top rope. He rolls into a sit-out powerbomb. Balor only gets a two. And then after the sling blade and shotgun <clears throat> dropkick, uh, the coup de gras gets stopped, and then Theory leaps into a split-legged one-man Spanish fly for a two-count. Balor stops the ATL and hits a tope con hero and is holding his neck, misses with the coup de gras, and after missing, the uh, the like the double stomp onto the mat ends up impacting his neck injury, which was interesting, and then lets him, you know, he is prone and hit with the ATL and Theory pins Balor to win the United States Championship. And then the, the all-star lineup comes out. This was uh, just right out of uh, Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. We had uh, uh, the remaining parts of the Hurt Business, Elf Academy, Cruz, Aziz, and T-Bar. T-Bar was back and they hoist him up. I mean, this was comical of uh, the characters that they, uh, they brought out for this championship celebration. Uh, but then after... Vince McMahon's music hits and he comes out and Theory goes up to the stage and takes a selfie with Vince and the title. And I will say this. Um, I would rather the title be on a guy that you are honestly like pushing and being behind. And they're clearly doing that with Theory. And they did try to make this not so much with like the 24-7 guys, but uh, at least with Vince coming out, making this title switch feel important that theory has won its first championship and they're trying to do something uh, with this performer and with this title. Yeah, actually I enjoyed this match a lot and I was actually like shocked at how theory won kind of clean pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I'm really curious like what they're going to do with Finn Balor. I'm not looking forward to what's going to be next for him. But as far as theory goes after Cody is done with Seth, I wouldn't mind seeing like a theory Cody program, you know, like who else would, would represent the U S better than, than the American nightmare with the U S titles. I can definitely see that being like a future program. Yeah. Finn Balor, it'll be very interesting to see what his, uh, what his role is. I mean, I I thought he looked very good in this match. Um, But again, here, here's a guy that that's 40 and you know, we, we have seen some guys that, uh, that age has not been uh, a deterrent when it comes to uh, being a high-profile one, but uh, Finn Balor is kind of not in that that upper mix, so he's going to be somewhat interesting to watch in the uh, the fallout from all of this, and if he is in like a meaningful program. Rollins is in the back; he's on Twitter, and Kevin Patrick interviews him, 
and asks if he's decided who Cody's opponent will be. He says yes, and Kevin Patrick asks him if he could share who it's going to be. And Seth responds like, dude, no. The whole point of this is that it's going to be Cody cannot prepare for this. Did you not listen to the first 20 minutes of this show? So, no, he did not share who the opponent would be. Before our main event... Really, really quick, before I forget, I found it funny when he was going through Twitter, he was asking, like, who is The weekend? Because I don't know if you saw, there's a picture of The weekend wearing, like, the same gear that Seth used to wear as part oh. of The Shield. So he was like, who's The oh, Weeknd? Oh, I did, I did see that photo today. Oh, that is funny. But, but it's funny, he, he was asking who The weekend is when The weekend has been having every theme song for the past, like, five years, I feel like, and he doesn't know who The weekend is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe 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 a fourth WrestleMania in a row will be will be the charm. Yeah, that, that is funny that he had, like, yeah, the, the old uh, Shield gear on. Yeah. So double commitment ceremony time. Um, R-Truth is the officiant for this. I will say this. I, I thought R-Truth was, was very funny uh, throughout this. I mean, there someone uh, lesser in that role. This would have been an all-time like terrible segment. But R-Truth was, was very funny. And, and dealing with a crowd, too, that had no interest in this. And I, I cannot blame them. This was very long. He... Brings out uh, Reggie and Tozawa and notes that the 24-7 title, it's off limits for this ceremony. And then Tamina and Dana Brooke come out in their wedding gowns. Lawler's got all the lines here. He says that he was once married by a judge, but should have asked for a jury. And then says that there are uh, weddings are like a three-ring circus. There's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and then the suffer ring. He's definitely used that before. I feel like I've been hearing that since like the nineties. The greatest hits here. So the audience starts whatting, and our truth is, don't what me. He is corrected on Dana Brooks and calls her Dana Brooke, and the crowd is totally distracted here, and they're just chanting over Dana's vows. She eventually gets them out. Then Reggie goes next. They're really battling the crowd here who are just – they're entertaining themselves and and why not? Uh, Truth is trying to control them. And then we get over to Tamina who just refers to Dana's vows and says what she said. Akira says, Tamina, same. And R-Truth asks if there are any objections. I had many objections to this segment. Tamina objects and swaps Tozawa for Reggie. Then – Tamina swaps herself with Tozawa, so she is with Dana, and we have the tease that they are going to get married. But then everyone goes back to their original spots, and they boo. And R-Truth says, with the power in my vest, (laughs) which was funny, he pronounces them committed. Because for whatever reason, we were not saying married uh, in any of this, for whatever reason. And they put their commitment rings on. And then everyone kisses. Reggie is making out with Dana and lands on top of her. And the referee counts three and Reggie pins her for the 24-7 title. Then Tamina pins Reggie. Tozawa goes under her wedding dress and rolls her up to win. Dana comes off the top in the wedding dress to pin Tozawa and leaves on the truth of, uh, on the back of our truth with the title to end the double commitment ceremony, John. And this was where I nearly messaged you to apologize. <laughs> um, I'll start with the positives. I, I This was definitely better than the lie detector test from earlier. So that was dad going for it. That um, is true. 
I, I thought our truth was very yeah. entertaining in this. Our truth was very funny during this segment. He was the life of this. Yeah, if our truth wasn't there, there would be no way they can like win the crowd back. Well, I wouldn't say they won the crowd back, but at least he was able to like control it in a way. I was shocked this was actually in the ring and it wasn't going to be like a backstage film segment, kind of like they did with the um, Drake Maverick wedding for the twenty four seven segments. So I was actually shocked that they decided to do it in the ring. Um, I did like the how the. Uh, uh, Tamina's bridesmaids was her former team bad teammates with Naomi and yeah, Sasha. Yeah, yeah, Sasha and Naomi were 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 out here as well. They never and, they never made any reference to team bad. But and there yeah, was just did. there was like random people in the ring. Like Los Lotharios were there with some of the mm-hmm. former Kiss Cam uh, girls were there as well. Like I'm just like, what is going on here? N- Nikki but, um, Ash was there. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was it was a wedding segment. Uh, what, what can you say? Not one of the more well remembered ones, but. Um, that, there you go. Uh, Dana Brooke is still the 24-7 champion at the at the end of it. Yeah. Sarah Schreiber interviews Bobby Lashley, and they play a message from MVP and Omos where MVP says he's moved on to bigger and better things, and Omos is better than Lashley ever was. Not quite sure about that. And he made Lashley almighty and asks, what could I do with Omos? So he challenges Lashley next week for an arm wrestling contest, and Omos states that the almighty era is coming to an end. And lastly, responds saying to get to MVP, he has to go through Omos and we'll find out who is stronger next week. So we're getting an arm wrestling contest. And I guess like they are going the direction of Lashley and MVP being the, the ultimate match to, to get to. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Honestly, I'd rather see that at the pay-per-view than, than almost and Lashley. But I'm wondering if they're going to like continue doing these like tests of strengths. Like, are we going to get a tug of war the following week or some sort of like, you know, keg run, whatever they'd like to do. Like I can see them continue this for a couple weeks, but I do hope the ultimate payoff is MVP and Lashley. Yeah. I'll, I'll be curious too, if they make it maybe like a handicap situation and just like that Lashley Omos match was really tough at WrestleMania. And maybe, you know, you, you put MVP in there to kind of lighten the load there and, uh, and limit Omos in that. It'll be interesting how they structure it because the, the bigger match is Lashley and MVP and getting to that. So that's next week along with Bianca Belair and Sonya Deville in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then Rollins comes out for the final segment uh, with Cody already out in the ring and states that his opponent is a former world champion, and that's no lie. And out comes Kevin Owens and him and Rollins hug, and we get Cody Rhodes and Kevin Owens. That went 17 minutes and 24 seconds. Wow. This is a long had, one. Yeah, I know I had a couple commercial breaks in there, but I didn't expect it to be that long. Wow. Okay. They immediately went to break, and then they come back. Owens is in control. Uh, we saw Owens uh, avoid an arm drag out of the corner and just lands on top of Cody with, with a senton that they replayed and just caught all of him with this. Owens goes for the swanton, landing on the knees, and then Rhodes on the floor tackles Owens onto the announcer's desk when Rollins comes back out to his music. That sets up the second commercial break. They're fighting on the turnbuckle. Rhodes is knocked down to the mat and kicks out from a frog splash. Then he's hit with a swanton. He kicks out of that, and Owens is getting frustrated that Rhodes keeps getting up, and Rhodes stops him on the turnbuckle. They fight, and Owens hits the fisherman, and Cody gets the foot onto the bottom rope and the ending sees the two on the edge of the apron and Owens takes a back body drop on the edge and he's on the floor. Rollins is telling him to get back into the ring and Owens says, this is your problem. And he walks away being counted out in 1724. And then Rollins nails Cody with a cheap shot while he's celebrating on the turnbuckle, this count out victory, just like dusty winning by count out. And 
Cody is knocked to the floor. He's holding his ankle. And that's how the show ends, I guess, teasing uh, an injury here. Um, I, I, I don't get like too bent out of shape over like non finishes in on TV. But after this show, John, and it's a near 18 minute main event. And this is our out uh, for, for the match. It was just like the exclamation point on the show that I, I just thought was uh, j- just a groan for the for this audience to to end the night with. Um this was a long episode of Raw. Yeah, I'm hoping they had a better dark match to at least have a clean finish to send them home somewhat a little happier than that would. Um, I was like kind of confused with the ending. I'm guessing they're going to what go back to Owens and Rollins. Like, why would Owens just randomly walk out on him? That was a little odd. I didn't really understand that part of it. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it almost felt like they're just going to. It's like they had separated Rollins and Owens. And then tonight they needed an opponent. So they rejoined them. This was like the Hurt Business coming back together. And yeah. then they'll just split them again. I don't even know if they'll follow up on this or not. We'll, we will see. Um, but yeah, but yeah um, Owens, I mean, God, he's in like just nowhere land right now with Ezekiel. So um, he could he could be utilized in, in a higher profile situation. But And the way they filmed that, like when uh, Rollins came in and pushed Cody off the top turnbuckle, the way it was filmed, I'm like, did he fall on the crash pad? Because it was like a really awkward like angle that they filmed him in. But when you saw him, he was on the floor. And yeah, they did try to play it off like he had some sort of injury. So I wonder if that's like an out for Seth to actually get his uh, victory back on Cody. Yeah, there, there seems to be a heavy, heavy reluctance to beat anybody uh, of significance here where we got that in uh, Ezekiel and Chad Gable uh, in this match as well. And it's just uh, when you pile them all on on top of each other, it just becomes, uh, I don't know. Um, What was your takeaway on on the show? What what was the good? Am I being too too harsh (laughs) on on Raw, John? Um, The theory Finn Balor match was good. I mean, the Cody Owens match wasn't bad as the ending was was a little, you know, whatever. It was raw. It it was a nice it was a nice television match. Like for for, for the time they had, it was really the the only match that got any real significant time that um, that and the the women's tag title match. and, And that was that was not a good match. Yeah, from storyline, I mean, obviously you have the Rhea turn. You have this slow Street Profits turn, it looks like, that's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think my highlight is probably Theory winning the title and the whole, like, what do you do next with him? Like, obviously Vince is, like, is promoting this guy, so they're going to want to push him further than what they are now. So I, I really feel like they're going to go with Cody and Theory. That's going to be, like, the next program, I feel like, after Backlash. And so so in the case of Cody, like, do you, like, Cody, to me, like, he is the, the top baby face on, on Raw. And that's certainly a direction. I guess you're, you're looking at where, how long you, you keep these titles unified. And then it's, it's finding creative ways to move Raw along. Like, I'm sure we will get some appearances from Reigns on Raw, but this is largely like the crew you have to work with. And you have to, in the absence of a title, I think you have to have some really dynamic stories to, carry it through and and there's going to be an an added focus on you know storylines right now for raw that are compelling and i you know there there is some stuff that they're they're working with but i think the show is going to have to hit a lot more when you don't have a a championship to work around and and keeping cody away from that title too when that's such a big focus of his comeback do you remember when i think it was cena when he was like the u.s champion and i feel like he was the only champion on the brand at that point and they really elevated the title i feel like they're gonna do that with cody with the u.s title as well a lot of the promotion that i saw this weekend was like promoting cody as the face of raw and roman as the face of smackdown and i don't see them taking the title off uh, any of these titles off of roman anytime soon so i feel like they're gonna have to put the u.s title i mean yeah it doesn't really mean anything to us but maybe having cody like talk about it or do something to kind of elevate the title for the time being until he can get the bigger one 
Yeah, I mean, if in a perfect world, you do this title unification and you would think that, okay, we're, we're mapping out WrestleMania, we're going to do this unification, and we're six months out, let's really make the, these intercontinental and U.S. titles really strong titles. Uh, but here we are, and I, I will say this, um, you know, some people might be upset that they're taking it off Finn Balor. They were not getting behind Finn Balor. This guy was not even booked at WrestleMania. Let's put it on someone that we are pushing in theory that in theory, should elevate this title. Um, and, w- and we'll see. And maybe that's going to be uh, something for Cody uh, coming out of this. Or if they view this title that it's it's only a secondary title and Cody is above it. Um, that's, that's a very reasonable uh, outcome as well. But that was Raw, um, a show I will never think about again. But John, I want to thank you for being a, such a, uh, a great companion to come on here and chat about Raw. Um, you are going to be back later this week and let people know uh, what, what's coming up on Shot in the Dark this week. What have you been uh, watching over the weekend? What can we look forward to on Wednesday? Yeah, so from the shows that I watched so far, we had the, um, the televised debut of the former Roxy who's now going by Roxanne Perez. She had her first match on uh, NXT Level Up. We had this uh, interesting segment on NXT UK where Isla Dawn spit black mist into the face of the UK Women's Champion, Mako Satomura. So yeah, we have another uh, black mist segment. I'm not sure if she's going to come back next week with an eye patch or what, but stay tuned for that storyline. And uh, whatever else happened, I didn't get a chance to watch AEW Dark yet, but I know that Jeff Hardy, uh, the Hardy Boys were on this week. That's so right. I, I should be looking forward to that. And uh, Tony Storm is on Dark tomorrow night yep. as well. So um, John has it all covered. Uh, as always, uh, a can't-missed edition of Shot in the Dark coming up <laughs> this Wednesday. So check that out on the Up Next feed and uh, all of his great reports that you can find up on the site at postwrestling.com. Um, he is the one. Not only uh, do I have him watch Raw with me on this Monday night, but he's got to do the, the Dynamite report. That, that's got to be the hardest report every single Wednesday night, and the man does it flawlessly. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's gotten better uh, recently, but uh, it's still pretty tough. Still pretty tough. Yeah, I could take everyone. We we have literally come up with a method now to to utilize Google Docs, and it's it's made it a lot easier for me. So um, anyway, you do a great job with those, John. Thank you. I will be back on Tuesday, one Eastern, with Karen Peterson for the Post Daily News Show. We'll be chatting about Kushida, uh, the raw, uh, not the raw numbers, but the SmackDown numbers, as well as uh, Rampage from Friday night outside of its time slot. And I think we we might have a uh, Battle of the Belts number by. Uh, Tuesday as well. Did you enjoy Battle of the Belts, John? It honestly felt like a second hour of Rampage to me. Like you know, my my I was more interested in the Windy City Riot show that night, but I did end up watching Battle of the Belts, and it just felt like another episode of Rampage. It wasn't bad. There was nothing bad about the show. It just it didn't feel like you think quarterly specials, you think Clash of the Champions, you think like big events, and totally. it wasn't it. Just not yet. They need to do something to better these shows, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see, uh, n- number one, how the show performs, because that's going to ultimately um, de- determine, like, if there was, um, you know, a heightened audience for this or not. And and if it's just, like, a average number, like, what we look at for, for future Battle of the Belts, because I think these, you know, they, they were propped up as just, you said, like, a quarterly special. And, you know, this, this felt like the number three show of the week that AEW uh, put out. But there you go. Um, that is going to wrap it up for us. Thank you to everybody uh, for joining us live or downloading the show afterward. Uh, Way will be back on Wednesday. And that means next Monday. He will be sitting down to watch Raw, and he will wish that he was back on vacation. But that is going to wrap it up for us. For John Ceno, I am John Pollock, and thank you for watching Rewind to Raw.